0: Welcome to the Sausage Factory, sponsored by Rocky, the content feedback platform. So this is our regular look at the world of content marketing. We're going to be celebrating the good and shining a light on what could be better with the single aim of encouraging the world to make better content, which we try and do in 30-minute sausages for you every single month. So, some introductions. I'm Matt Laybourne. I'm the founder of Rocky, and normally we have Mark Willis with us, but sadly he can't join us today. So, as I'm sure you know, if you know Mark, he's a content purist, so no doubt he's entertainingly regaling friends, family, strangers, anyone he can find, about the value of a good brief, why he won't write anything into the strategies in place, and probably a few other things as well, being the stubborn little sausage that he is. So the show goes on. So today in the factory, we're joined by Deborah Carver, the CEO and founder of the content technologist. So I'm particularly excited about this one. I've like been following Deborah's journey for uh, the last couple of years as well. So to give you a bit of background, her journey has covered local journalism, B2B magazines, the highs and definitely sometimes the lows of agency life solopreneurship right the way up to creating the incredible content technologist, which is a newsletter and consultancy practice. I'm incredibly excited to have her on as one of the first people I spoke to as well about Rocky. For those that know our journey, I was constantly trying to find like-minded people who care about analytics and data because they're they're the funnest things of all. And I was recommended one of her articles on how to navigate uh, Google Analytics for content, which was incredible. So I went on to read and subscribe and to read again and keep coming back because there's an incredible amount of high quality content on the content technologist website. Ironically, it's mostly about what great content looks like by someone who creates great content uh, for people who care about making great content. So hopefully that all makes sense, but I had to meet this person and learn more. So without further ado, welcome to the Sausage Factory, Deborah. How are you?
1: Hello, Matt. Thank you for having me. I am lovely today. Absolutely lovely.
0: (laughs) Are you excited about being on a slightly ambiguously named podcast like ours?
1: Yeah, well, it was funny because I was going through and I was like, oh, okay. So we're going to talk about sausage. That's cool. I can do that. Okay.
0: Before we get into the blend and and the blend is the good bit where we talk about our content marketing heroes, such as yourself and the journey that you've taken about and obviously what makes good content as well we have to do the sausage quiz. It's becoming infamous now, so in Mark's absence, I'll be picking up the reins on the format. Uh, <laughs> the format, that, for better or worse, gets more interest than I wanted or expected at this point. So it's a three part quiz um, that's gonna give us an, an unparalleled insight into, into your mind and your ways of thinking and possibly your sausage preferences as well. So Deborah, what's your favorite type of sausage would the world have to know?
1: So I'm allergic to a lot of sausage um, because I'm allergic to hot dogs and basically anything that's like red because I am allergic to nitrate or nitrates or nitrates, something in there anyway. So I have to watch, watch where I go, but Mm. I am half Polish and my grandfather used to make Polish kielbasa. Mm. That would be my favorite sausage that I can still eat. Um, because most sausages are out of the question for me now.
0: Okay. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That kind of probably answers question too. What your favorite sausage-based dish?
1: I yeah, kielbasa with some like rye bread and horseradish is how how my grandfather used to eat it, and it was just like okay, this is this is good, you know, basic Polish man food. It's great.
0: <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah, very wholesome and yeah. um, delicious. What the final question on Mark's excellent quiz is? What is the preferred meat or non-meat percentage?
1: Typically for polar sausage, I think it's pork. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I, I will like any, anything that doesn't have preservative meats in it is good for me. So like just general meat, super processed, not so good. So yeah. that's my preferred percentage is no super processed stuff. Yeah. That
0: makes complete sense. Yeah. yeah. Why would you want plastic in your food?
1: Exactly. Especially plastic <laughs> that makes me like swell up and no um, yeah
0: okay so we've, we've got the details that will go into mark ever growing spreadsheet of sausage based preferences and can't wait like to that. see
1: the research report when that comes it's, out it's
0: gonna be all over linkedin the the best gated <laughs> content piece that we'll ever produce i think so that chat is over let's let's get into the real details so yeah. um as i say Deborah, i'm super excited about having you on let's let's go back to the beginning Tell us about your content journey. So obviously you studied English literature and you've done local journalism as well. Talk us through it. How did you get started? What was kind of your, your big interest in those early days?
1: I'm an indoor kid raised by indoor kids. And so I've been building websites online since I was 15 years old in the late 90s. And that has always kind of been my anchor it was mostly when I was a teenager to show off my poetry my bad poetry and I wanted to I learned to build on GeoCities but then there were a lot of other website builders at that time and you know a lot of like a lot of creators like a lot of time on my hands when I was a teenager and so could spend that just like learning those tools and then I got into the workplace and um In the early 2000s, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. Like digital was just growing and it was seen as something for computer science people. And I never did computer science. I just always used the computer for making things or just like I was never interested in software development. That wasn't like a website. I was only really ever interested in like the human connection and the ability to put things online. So I wound up working in book publishing in and around the publishing industry because of my experience. English language literature is my major, but just generally... I was a writer and zine creator and publisher. So I started working in in book publishing, then moved around. I did copy editing for a small history book publishing company. And then I moved to Minnesota, got my master's degree in mass comm and local journalism and hit a recession. There were no jobs. This was like 08, 09. There were no jobs. Eventually wound up working at it, actually, a craft cocktail bar where I learned more sales skills than I had ever learned before, and then went back to a B2B publishing company. And actually, how I kind of got started into the measurement thing is I was working at B2B publishing. It's a company for caterers called Cater CaterSource, um, and it's like a trade show. It was just I was doing all of their content marketing. So they had a print magazine, a website, email. And then this was 10 years ago. So social media was just becoming a thing. And because it was for caterers, like Instagram, tiny pictures of food, like that was really popular. It was very easy to make a lot of content across a lot of channels. As I was doing this, I realized I was like, all I'm doing is writing, 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 planning, planning, planning. I have no idea what people are reading. Mm -hmm. And again having started with the like 15 year old i want people to read my poetry online i understand i'm like i can see like there are ways to see who is reading this and i want to know who that is who's reading this content what content's doing well so i actually wound up transitioning to i went to about 10 years ago exactly a marketing and performance marketing agency um and was in charge of i think my first title was like SEO content manager so basically i learned seo as, and like or the organic side of content and brought my publishing knowledge to that i was talking about this with a friend yesterday but anyone who is working about 10 years ago, you know, it was kind of a really magical time. Everyone was using social media and getting these gangbusters results. And everyone's SEO was doing really well. And like, there was a lot of just really positive energy and just kind of learning and growing. And the company I was at actually made us get registered or get certified in Google Analytics. Like everyone, all 30 of us had to be certified in it. I had a very good teacher there. It was kind of like going to grad school again. And so got certified in Google Analytics and I wasn't allowed to really make any content recommendations to clients unless I had data to back it up. So even the things that are like publisher gut, like, yes, you should do this. Like, this is how you should structure your content because I know how how people read content. Like that wasn't accepted as a reason to give a client. So you had to have like, we we're showing that this data supports this effort. Like you had to have those numbers to back it up. And I was there for about three years. And again, it was like this really magical time and learned a lot, went to another media agency um, that was more of a media company and then went out on my own a few years ago. It's been a combination of like, you know, I have two degrees, yes, but also I've learned a lot on the job and learned a lot in just working with and for clients and doing client service. And yeah, it's always come back to like, I don't know, I just really like websites. (laughs) I just really like internet communications, just in general, the good side of it, the fun side of it.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Like, I think the thing that's fascinating for for me just hearing you say that. First of all, I love that like fifteen year old Deborah just wanted her poetry to be heard. Come on, that's what we all want as marketers. Just listen to my thing, man. Just yeah. tell us tell us what the story is. But I think that's really interesting is because you've come from a publishing background as well, where it's the kind of traditional uh for want of a better word, like you know, the, the production and, and distribution of content yeah. and that whole story and, and so many of what we see in like content marketing now is we're kind of like in this hype cycle of just constant endlessly creating it and not understanding what works and what doesn't.
1: Yeah. So
0: I, am kind of fascinated, like you've had that trade-off of both sides where there's, you know, publishing just, is kind of in that cycle as well, constantly making stuff at the moment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sound. Well, And I I actually had an internship at Harper Collins, which was part of News Corp. And they it was like one of those like immersive college internships where you get to see all sides of the business. So they like took us to the manufacturing plant and like took us to like where they print the books and um, the very physical side of publishing. And then we also had to make sales plans and things like that. So it was very much like, yeah, learning the business of publishing and seeing how that plays out. Out and like that very, um, I would say just that process, that established process, the book publishing industry is hundreds of years old. So it's it's very different from where content marketing is now, I would say, yeah. but it's also, it's great because there is a foundation for that. Like it's like, there is a foundation for knowing what content succeeds. It's just different now than it used yeah. to
0: be. With that experience in mind, what, what are things that you've taken from, Old world into new world, if you like, and you know what I don't know. Yeah, what, yeah, what, are the, biggest, yeah. what are the biggest things that have come with? Well, you? So
1: there's a there's a few business things where it's just like you just want to know like every single thing you're doing, having some kind of expectation of performance, like just generally being able to forecast what the results of something or of a campaign or you know a book or whatever, having some idea. So each piece of content or each initiative is kind of its own little business. So you're like, like that is definitely a thing that I've taken as far as content business goes. Um, That is not necessarily, I would say inherent in the digital content industry where there's a lot of only throwing spaghetti (laughs) at the wall and like, Nothing is sticking. And whereas in traditional publishing, you have to say, we think this will stick because Mm XYZ. There's definitely a lot of that as far as like those insights that, and also just the production cycle and the cycle of editorial and things that are not necessarily a part of a lot of digital content marketing, but maybe should be, where it's not a lot of content marketing is just like one person. So it's kind of like my job 10 years ago, one person creating a bunch of content and no one's really editing it or like looking to see if it could be done better. In all honesty, those collaborative content processes are what make content good. So mm. bringing that to like the digital side, and especially now with AI generated content, I think the editorial side of things and that editorial skill set that maybe we haven't been using in digital as much, I think that that will continue to sharpen, um, especially as we're working on each other's work and collaborating more. It's like having an actual editorial process where like, we know we're looking for X, Y, Z in each pass. Those things that tend to be things that I would say in digital businesses are seen as blockers or can slow things down, but they actually make the content better. Yeah, it can slow down publication, but if you know that those extra steps are going to make it that much better and that much more impactful, then yeah, okay, it's worth it to take a couple extra rounds of editorial,
0: for sure. It's interesting because I'm seeing like some things recently on LinkedIn where, especially with programmatic SEO, there's, I can't remember the exact phrasing of it, but it was something along the lines of publish now, worry later, where the process that they were adopting was basically like, Get a piece of content produced as quickly as you possibly can against a certain keyword with supporting language, keywords, etc. structure it, do a light edit, make sure you're happy with it, publish it, hopefully it ranks, then worry about editing it, then worry about editorial, because you've got traffic now, you should start yeah. caring, which seems mad. Yeah. I sort of get it in a strange way, but I don't know, what's your view?
1: So I like the momentum idea. So part of the thing with publishing is like, cause people can just be like, oh, it's not perfect. It's not done. Like it's not ready. There is something to just hitting publish and saying it's done next. And so I like that. I am the like whole oh, let's publish a, a rough draft or a roughish draft and edit it later. That's one of those things. I'm like, well, that's one way to do it. <laughs> uh, I think it it could work. I can see how it could have results, especially if you're a certain type of, SaaS company where you're writing, especially if you're writing about things that are maybe, I would say not necessarily covered everywhere. Like they're not super popular topics. And so if you're just kind of trying to show up on a term and add later to the ones that work, because you don't, there is the publishing thing, whether it's algorithm or just general market where you don't know ever what people will actually like and pick up on ever. And so there, there is a little bit of like, well, we'll wait and see and, and promote it later. I, I like it to be a little tidier up front. I think there's there's different, and especially if, depends on like what your rough draft is too. Like if it's a good rough draft, then yeah, that's fine. If there's a bunch of errors in it and it doesn't make any sense, then no, you don't you don't want people to see that. That's bad for your brand.
0: I appreciate it. you yeah. with something there because that was like something I saw recently. I was like, that's quite a cool yeah. thing to, to add on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll come come back to content effectiveness later because I want to yeah. pick your brains on all things GA four as well. That journey we were talking through, so that brings us kind of roughly up to two or three years, well maybe longer than that. Yeah. Uh, content technologist was uh, started in twenty nineteen.
1: Yeah, we're four years old. Actually, today is the four year anniversary of the first no newsletter I published. So
0: where's the cake? I can't even. <laughs> I know I should have some that. cake.
1: Yeah, yeah, celebratory Tuesday, four years old which is quite, it's its weird. I'm like, okay, so I've been publishing a weekly newsletter for about four years. That's nuts. Got quite a lot of log of content and an archive of content, which is actually the coolest thing to see once you've been doing something like this for a while and you know, getting that momentum and doing it regularly. It's like, you look back, and you're like, wow, I wrote all those things. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's nuts.
0: Can you talk us through the kind of the inspiration for it? Because obviously you've gone through kind of different roles, agency side, publishing side, and then you thought I need to do something different.
1: I was on, I was at a media company, the agency side of a media company, and I was doing all of all of their digital basically. Like I was helping everyone in every aspect of that company with digital. So this is like 2016 to 2018 was getting a lot. I mean, there's a lot of software. There's been a lot of software for content and SEO and you know the martech graphic with all the different software in it and i would i would get new queries every single day from new tools. And I was really excited to try out all this stuff, but I never had time because I was doing all the digital. So it was like, I'm very excited about what's new, but I don't ever get to actually work on it because I'm so busy working with the existing company and helping them understand their digital processes. So when I went out on my own, I really wanted to focus on learning about that new tech that i was seeing because we were getting like ai previews like stuff that is now kind of coming to light with chat gpt and even just ai powered like image tagging and things like that we were seeing all those previews but like none of it was really like i didn't actually ever get to use any of that software because it was way out of our budget so content technologist was just a way for me to review and explore this different software while I was building my consultancy. So the other thing was like 2018, 2019, Substack was starting the newsletter. Like I Mm -hmm. could see very clearly that the newsletter thing was already taking off. I, you know, at the time I thought it was a little late to it, but also I knew from working in two different content marketing agencies that, you can just build content around the kind of work that you'd like to do and then you will hopefully find clients and so that's what i did like my first year for content technologists was like i'm gonna write every single week like i'm gonna not miss a week i'm gonna do all 52 weeks um and initially, uh, again, 2019, I was just talking about the types of projects I wanted to work on and the types of things I was thinking about, as far as content goes. And, you know, I had a small set of clients, they were my first audience. And then that just kind of, that just kind of grew. And I wrote every week. And as I was writing every week, then it turned into 2020. (laughs) And big things started happening. And I just kind of wrote through that too, which was, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So we were the center for a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. But just having the newsletter and that be like a consistent anchor to write, kind of write what I was thinking about work and writing what I was thinking about like technology even kind of like fell to the wayside sometimes and just kind of the projects that we were doing and like how people are using the internet and just kind of writing through it. And then after I got through that year, it was like, oh, okay, well, you can keep doing this. And I don't do it every single week every anymore. Like I do take weeks off now, but having that habit and that backlog of content And then kind of seeing how it was get, it was doing its job, which was finding consulting clients who were doing the types of projects that I wanted to do. And because it was just me, I didn't need to find that many clients, you know, like, it's like, you just need a couple of good, big projects. And then I'm good for a few months because I do big website redesigns mostly. So it's like, yeah, those are big, long-term projects. And, The newsletter was working as far as I was concerned. So, and it's still working. Last year or this year, we've added other contributors who aren't just me. Mm. So that's been a really fun journey too. I'm an editor uh, from, I've been working in publishing for so long. I love editing other people and working with other people and making their writing great too, because I think that there's, we're still at the tip of this, this kind of creator creator economy, iceberg, whatever we're going to call this right now. There's still quite a lot to kind of, I would say we're at the beginning of the intermediate phase, but like there's a lot of sophistication to kind of build out, especially people like you and me who are kind of going it alone, but also, you know, linking up together and collaborating and things like that. Content Technologist was a way for me to be in that because I've always like I said I've always been online and it gave me a little more control of the types of clients that I wanted to work on because that's always a thing in agencies right like it's like you just you're assigned like xyz and this was more like I'm developing all these services so I want to work with the clients I want to work with and so yeah there's there's definitely a little bit of like still the the teenager who wants you to read your poetry like it's like it's like i want to do what i want to do so yeah. there's that too
0: i can imagine yeah. you getting a brief at the agency and you're like no i don't want to do it it's not fun yeah but, like um... this
1: is this is this like because you wind up working in those same types of companies too and it's yeah, just yeah. like now there's a little more variety and uh and yeah and i can kind of pick and choose what i want to do which is
0: great i think this was the thing that really impressed me about what the content technologist does perhaps even more pertinent when I looked at it a year ago, but it's just consistently good, like journalistic type content. I've just made up a word there potentially, but we'll we'll worry about that another time, but it's just really consistently well-written, cared about content. And I love seeing all those other contributions now. So, you know, there's a place to go to for SEO, for analytics, for strategy, measurement, whatever the, like the topic may be. With so many people coming to the market, like individual creators as well, and like with LinkedIn's like its own crazy ecosystem now of, yeah. of those types of people, you've obviously got your own platform and a dedicated audience. And that's amazing. It's so amazing. But like, how do you keep it so engaging? How do you keep people coming back? Like what's kind of your secret source to having a real focus on quality?
1: Yeah. So my thing is also, I just only ever want to write what I want to read. So I get very bored. So I have a background in literature and publishing. And so, you know, press release type content, stuff that feels very forced and marketing-y has never been my jam. There's a lot of different B2B publications out there, I would say, that are very good at getting that very high level, but there's not very much for people to go deeper with publishing my thing has always been find number one what you want like in ux you're not supposed to use yourself as an audience but if what you want isn't out there you can do that like you can you can Mm -hmm. say yeah i'd really like to read or write some more interesting essays about content marketing that actually kind of go beneath the surface because we're all humans working in this industry and we can all write and talk to each other like humans and not like you know, there's some secret formula that if everyone hits it, that we're all gonna, you know, be billionaires. That doesn't happen. It's more about the, as far as quality and consistency, it's writing what you want to read. I am also very critical, like when I read a lot of uh, B2B media, that it just, it doesn't really go very deep, or it's just, it's just like, more like exec level, like overview, or it's like, here's 10 tactics. And I'm like, there is a middle ground here where we can talk about The ideas behind what we're doing, because also there is this, you know, knowledge. We're all technically knowledge workers, right? And no matter if you're at a brand and or at an agency or at, I don't know, running solo, but it's all it's all knowledge work. Like there's a lot of things to think about. We're all sitting at our screens all day and thinking about what we're doing and we're all smart people. So building an audience of of smart content creators and also just seeing the commonalities of like how tech content marketing and how media content like work the same, that's been an interesting area to explore too. Cause it's, it's the same, but it's different. Thank you very much for calling the content technologist journalistic. I would say I'm not a reporter. Like I have, <laughs> I work with actual, I have worked with actual reporters before, and that is not me. I'm a publisher, but it is more like, yeah, let's, let's write things that we would actually want to read instead of like, here's all the things you're doing wrong or whatever, whatever listicle um, is. And it's, yeah, we're all professionals. We're all, I mean, I've been working, I, I've, been in this career for 20 years like I don't want to yeah. read basic stuff anymore
0: and that, that's the interesting thing because I think it bucks the trend a little bit that what what you guys are doing because um the, the, you know you take some top line stats just, if, if you are a really bad strategist take some top line stats attention spans are shorter than ever oh, yeah. everything should move into short form everything has to be punchy give people the answer in five steps but sometimes I just want to read something that makes me smarter on a thing just give me mm-hmm. depth, give me detail, give me an opinion about how you've used it or how to set it up, whatever it may be. Like I always go back to the HRES blog, like on SEO. Like it's insane. It's incredibly detailed. Yeah, it tells me how to good. do SEO properly rather than a LinkedIn post that someone said, get a thousand keywords ranking in an hour by doing yeah. this. I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do <laughs> that. Not, yeah. It's it's kind of mad, but okay, on that note. Yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna go just directly to a piece of content that you have done and i know you guys are talking about so this is the bit where we get to geek out on slightly more technical things but yes. great google our beloved overlords have obviously moved everyone away from universal analytics mm-hmm. i think some people thought it might never happen because why would you ever leave something so great but here we are we're now in a post universal analytics world yeah. we're all into ga4 I i know from personal experience looking at some of the clients I work with that no one's really done anything yet. It's just, we've done our migration buttons, but we don't quite know what we're doing with our events, with our conversions. What's your view on this change? And you've obviously done so much work around analytics, but what's the good and the bad?
1: It's such a big change because I, I, learned Google Analytics first in 2013 when they had just I think they had just made another big change like whatever was before Universal Analytics like came out shortly before I learned it so I've pretty much been on UA and like a UA expert for a long time to me the high level that it's What seems to have happened is number one, I am also very shocked that Google did this on time. I thought that they were going to push it back another year, um, which they did for their paid customers, but not for the free ones. And in general, it seems like most people are kind of doing what you've done, which is just like ignoring it and hoping they are able to figure it out. I think that just in general, there's a lot of frustration everywhere with software just changing and whether it's social media or, you know, people logging their kids on to virtual school, like there's just a frustration with software in general. And so like Google changing this tool that like everyone knew how to use, but changing it to something completely different Mm -hmm. is just, I think a lot of people are just kind of like, I don't know. Like it's just kind of like, I don't know. That's what I'm seeing as far as where folks are at. And there is just yeah i would say just a frustration with just digital business in general right now where people mm-hmm. are just kind of like we're going to wait till things calm down and then there i think there's more of a wait and see but with ga i do th- I, I do think it's worth it to make the transition and to to get to know the interface because it is a really it's a good tool mm-hmm. and it is more privacy compliant than the previous tool but it's also I think there's just, yeah, the general frustration with why is big tech just changing everything right now? And just kind of like that headache, I think, especially for those of us who are mid-career. Yeah, like it's like (laughs)
0: it's excellent timing we've literally had twitter disappear in the last 48 hours so whenever this goes out it's like you're now might be logging on to x and that's unless microsoft sued them before then because that might allegedly happen very soon as well Uh, that's another that's another thing we'll worry about that another day for 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 those on ga4 what do you recommend where where does where should people get started
1: yeah. So the big thing to know is that the events are tracked very differently. So with previous GA, there you'd have an event and then there would be a category, a label, and an action. You had to kind of set them up that way to be readable. The way that the new GA works is that it's not like they've gotten rid of label, category, and action. And then instead, like the event can have all sorts of parameters attached to it. And getting the knack of that and getting that set up in the interface so that you can read it and your constituents can read it, that is kind of the biggest challenge because if you just hit the buttons, when it comes over, it kind of, it's pretty messy. And so it's about figuring out how to set it up in a way that maybe is less messy. That is, that's like kind of, that's the wonky bit. Like for people who are really into analytics and want to get their heads around what's happening but are confused by the interface, I would say, like, start with the event tracking and the differences yeah. in event tracking. There's other big differences, but once, once you kind of wrap your head around how the events are done, you can get a lot more insight. So yeah, I would say that's one of the big ones. And, and it's also just learning the new metrics. Like, there's some new metrics in there. There's the same as the old metrics, but not quite. You know, it's like engagement rate instead of bounce rate. That's a big one, which is engagement rate is just the inverse of bounce rates, but it matches more what social platforms do, which is measure an engagement rate.
0: I kind of find that quite fun because for years, yeah. nearly everyone didn't understand what bounce rate was anyway. And now it's changed. I always heard this is like, oh, this content's not very good because of a bounce rate. And you're like, they might have loved it. And then, yeah. yeah. yeah you didn't
1: give them anything to do (laughs) so they left yeah yeah
0: yeah. like it's not it's not don't blame content leave content alone yeah (laughs) yeah yeah nice so that's awesome. Thank you so much for all of that. Well so what can we expect next for the content technologists?
1: We have a GA4 course if you're interested. It's a self-service course. It goes through the transition. I'm actually probably gonna add a little bit less about the transition now that it has happened and edit it more towards being about being about just setting it up with those the events in mind. But yeah, we have a GA4 course and we're actually starting monthly event series pretty soon on Content Technologist. We've also, we've just made a few really big shifts in our business. So the newsletter is, uh, it used to be free monthly, now it's free weekly. So there's a lot more, lots more really good content, live events, courses coming up. It's really exciting, actually. We're in a really exciting phase right now. Doing more to connect um, again, like established professionals, established marketers and content creators with resources to help them do their jobs better and to just enjoy their jobs more like there's the thing in digital where you feel like you are always being thrown around by algorithms. I hope that content technologists helps people like anchor themselves and and think of it more as less being subject to the whims of whatever Google or Meta are doing and actually have some practice and human thought behind the work that we're doing in, you know, building content online, whether it's, you know, an archive of, you know, or a museum or a SaaS company who wants to build a product knowledge base, like just kind of getting some more of those resources and diving in deep to that stuff is where we're going. So yeah, check it out.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. A big recommendation from me as well. Do check it out. Incredible resources there to, to check out. So we're going to pause now for a quick commercial message from our esteemed sponsors. If you've been listening before, my chance to what I think make our amusing adverts. But we'll come back to some good content shortly with Matt's bangers. It's a no-brainer! Those are the words of a delighted customer at a recent call. And I apologise to that person because that's clearly not their voice. And I've done a horrible job of impersonating them. Anyway... What was she talking about, you ask? Well, it's Rocky, of course. It's the thing I can't stop raving about. Rocky allows you to effortlessly collect feedback from your audience on how much they did, and sometimes didn't enjoy your content. So instead of spending countless hours speculating on whether that content actually resonates, you know, using analytics or SEO data, now you can just find out immediately by asking your audience. And here's the best bit. Rocky now has a free forever version. You can get set up in just five minutes and start collecting data straight away. There's no fixed contracts, no credit card required. Just a goodbye forever to guesswork and a hello to time saved. Visit rocky.io to get started. It's a no-brainer. Right, so now it's time for Matt's bangers. So this is the section of the show where we showcase a piece of content that we absolutely love. And this week, Deborah, it's over to you. So what are you throwing at us for well, Matt's bangers?
1: So Barbie just came out, right? And we've all been hit over the head with the Barbie marketing. However, I love it. I absolutely love it. As content marketing, it's brilliant. Um, and if you think of the Barbie movie as actual content marketing, like it it's amazing yes there's a lot of build-up to it but it was all really fun like the this barbie is like the little social widgets and just kind of just all the hype and conversation around it it's you know when i was growing up they blamed barbie for all the things they blame instagram for now so it's nice to just kind of have this like i don't know cultural celebration of this this stupid toy, which has so much meaning for a lot of people and is so complex, and have that complexity be celebrated in the content marketing. Like I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I'm going to see it this week, but I'm like, right, yeah, it is yeah. so cool. Like just marketing alone, it's so cool. So, I, I,
0: wait, hang on a minute. Was was there a <laughs> rival doll called a Cindy? I. I have think I there, that up. Or... I think there
1: might have been that might have been. Uh, what, hap-
0: what happened to her? And I, I, she she was well, devastated at all of this. I it's
1: think. very clear, like Barbie. Barbie is the winner at yeah. the end of the day, um, and Mattel is
0: actually anyone um, who's a shareholder in that organization is doing rather well today. So yes, it's yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's also it revived the whole film, the flagging film industry. So, like, go Barbie, go. I didn't think that they could make this many people excited about a plastic doll, but here we go.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, so we've got the good. Now we need to look at the other side of it. And for every banger, there's a sausage of death. So a reminder of where this comes from, it's Danish slang for something that is really boring is Dolden's pulse, a sausage of death. So this is our really uplifting way of finishing the show by awarding one awfully dull or poorly written piece of content this uh, not so good title. Deborah. have you got a sausage of death for us?
1: I'm going to go with the Twitter rebrand to (laughs) X.
0: as
1: just the idea that you can just, as a person who's been working in marketing for 10 years, I'm like, oh, you just wanted to rebrand overnight? Client from hell. It, It will be a lovely lesson and case study in the future of why not to just throw all the brand equity that you've built out the window. It's just Now, at this point, after all the changes in Twitter in the past year, like, it is kind of just boring. You're doing whatever you want. When we talk about things like brand and brand equity and like big things like your logo and and maintaining brand and in tech, that kind of gets a bad rap a lot of the time because there's other things that are important that aren't brand. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, no, you can't. Just do whatever you want with the community driven brand that you built. I mean, I guess yeah. maybe you can. I don't know. There's so many of us who I feel like it's just like, yeah, I'm done. This is done. Yeah. I,
0: I, I completely hear And there's so many people that have built communities of followers and engagement. It just it just kind of starts to sadly die. And I I, I just dread to think like what some of those Twitter employees who, who left last year are just looking at it now and going, you know, I put you know a decade into it, something quite special yeah and and now it's just what is it wechat v2 yeah, yeah sure is, is that what anyone wanted like was that a problem yeah. is that a problem that we needed solving
1: i wish i could point you to a particular piece of content but that honestly is on my mind is like wow okay
0: Yeah, I hear you. Amazing. Thank you. So, before we say goodbye for this episode, Deborah, where can we find out more about you and the content technologist?
1: You can visit content There's a dash in there or Google the content technologist and I'll be there. I'm also on LinkedIn and I'm hoping to do a new project wherein I revive my personal portfolio site in the near future.
0: Cool. Check it out. Happens. Thank you so much. We Thank really you. appreciate you coming on. So let's wrap this sausage up. Let's get it packed and let's get it back onto the shelves. In future shows, we're going to continue to dissect what truly great content looks like with a number of guest experts. So if you want to get in touch, in the meantime, we'd love to hear from you and your contributions to Matt's Bangers or conversely, the dreaded sausage of death. And you can do so by messaging our Twitter handle or should I say X handle? If it's still going, it might not be there next week. It's Rocky underscore IO. You can visit our website, rocky.io, or you obviously can find us on LinkedIn as well. So, until then, that is all from the Sausage Factory. Thank you so much again to Deborah for coming onto the show. Thank you very much, listeners, for listening to us. And please do not forget to give us your feedback.